Hey everyone, welcome back to Reclaiming the Bible Belt podcast. My name is Joseph Dockery. Before we get started today, I just want to highlight a couple things. We've been saying from the beginning that this is a journey and a mission that we're going on together, and so we want you to be a part of the conversation, and here's how you can do that. First of all, you could keep the conversation going. If you know anyone who might benefit from the conversations we're having here, share us with that person. But more importantly, we want you to be able to take these conversations and go out and have them with people in love. Secondly, if you'd like to reach out to us for any reason, you can get to us at our email, rtbbpod at gmail.com. That's rtbbpod at gmail.com. Our Instagram is live as well at rtbbpod. If you have any questions regarding any of the themes or topics that we've discussed on any of our episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Send an audio clip about 30 seconds long telling us who you are, where you're from, and what your question is. We'd love to feature you on the show on one of our upcoming question and response episodes. Back to this place, caught in a most, most of This week, we're diving back into our I Believe In theme. Last time, we discussed the baggage that comes with the phrase, I believe in God. Then we paused and had a conversation with my best friend Micah from high school, who lives out in Colorado. But today, Philip and I will be diving back in and unpacking the baggage and implications that come with the phrase, I believe in Jesus. We'll begin by addressing the different versions of Jesus that have surfaced in our Bible Belt culture. When a character of Jesus is painted or an idealized version of Jesus is painted that maybe displays a truth about Jesus, like something that is definitely biblically based, but it's overemphasized, Um, about his character and begins to overshadow and disregard other aspects about him. Then we discuss the importance of understanding the theme of messianic kingship when it comes to our belief in Jesus. Jesus is standing on the conviction of thousands of years of expectation. Um, And it's it's really rooted in the claim that the Old Testament makes, namely that humanity needs rescuing and God promised that a king would come to rescue them. And then we wrap up with discussing how deep of a claim it is to really say that Jesus is Lord. Well, it was one of the biggest mic drop moments. Of all time. Of all time. And it's not even like (coughs) Jesus, it's not even like Jesus was just saying, hey guys, I'm the almighty God of the universe. He dropped the name. He dropped the name. We believe that one of the greatest threats to the reach of Christianity isn't those who don't believe in Christ, it's those who think that they do. So join us in building the kingdom of God where Christ is known, but not yet followed. Let's dive in. So we're back into our overview theme, the I Believe In theme. And uh, last week, we actually had the special interview with my friend Micah. But the week before that, we zoomed in on the idea of saying, I believe in God. And Philip, we pretty quickly realized that that could take days and episodes and episodes just to unpack what it means to I believe in God. We're actually still sitting in the same chairs we were the previous episode. We haven't moved. <laughs> and it's been two weeks. You know, And Philip, just before this episode started, uh, he was like, Hey, did you get any like feedback about all the Elohim stuff? Because it was a lot. It was a lot of stuff we talked about. Yeah, and things that aren't really talked about in uh, in the Bible Belt 
circles, so we can understand how you'd be like, what? What is all this? What is all this knowledge? <laughs> yeah, but like Philip said last time, you know, we're not just poking uh, a dead bear or a it's not a dead bear, a sleeping bear. <laughs> that would be useless <laughs> <laughs> and not helpful. <laughs> Uh, no, we're not just poking a sleeping bear. Like we, the things that we choose to talk about, we really do think that they have implications on the way we live out our faith. And so, understanding that there is this context of knowing what we mean when we say God is important. Well, we saw that last time. Um, today, we're zooming in even more to another cliche thing that ties in with this "I believe" phrase, um, and it's got just as much baggage, just kind of in a different way. And it's the blanket statement: "I believe in Jesus." Now, this topic could also last forever, but we're just going to kind of see where it goes. The, the, when we talked about it in our overview discussion, um, the f- kind of the predominant thing that came up was talking about these different versions of Jesus. Now, what we mean when we say versions of Jesus is when a character of Jesus is painted or an idealized version of Jesus is painted that maybe displays a truth about Jesus, like something that is definitely biblically based but it's overemphasized um, about his character and begins to overshadow and disregard other aspects about him. And so today, the way we want to start is by lovingly highlighting some of those, um, some unhealthy versions of Jesus that get tossed around and offer a a healthy counter to each of them. And the point of the reason that we're doing this is not just to, you know, hate on people's perceptions of Jesus or because a lot of people like certain attributes about Jesus really do speak to them, and I get that, but we gotta, we have to be careful and, and, and speak to this a little bit, Philip. We have to be careful because if we get hung up on one attribute about Jesus, there are people who are wired different than you that if they see that and that is, they believe that that is all that Jesus is about, that can begin to harm um, people's understanding of who Jesus is. Right. A lot of times we'll project our own... Uh, personalities onto Jesus, or think about him in ways that make us feel better. When really he he is uh, Jesus communicates well with all people, connects with a lot of people, and he he has um, well even in Scripture it says that he's well acquainted with our sorrows, and he he basically knows what we're all going through. Um, and in living in flesh was able to was experiencing life and hunger and and all these things so he's a lot more than just one part of the whole right and with this comes a, a vast array a big spectrum of different v- versions of Jesus um Obviously, Philip and I, being you know of a when we use this word, we use it scholarly, not politically, a, a conservative side of the Christian faith. Um, we are naturally more inclined to, and to be triggered, I guess, when it comes to liberal uh, versions of Jesus, and that's because of where we live. Um, so we're not going to talk about those, for, at least at first, because I think a lot of people who likely are listening in. Uh, they don't need to be challenged there. You know, if they come across a Jesus that, you know, the, the all love Jesus, the Jesus is, doesn't care about calling out anything. He's just all about love. Like we, we recognize that that's an issue. The inclusive universal right. Jesus. And we might even, we might get to talking about that a little bit, but the, that's not an issue here in the Bible Belt because people are naturally triggered to that we one. We pretty much refute that yeah. across the board here. Um, so let's talk about some of the ones 
that maybe the versions of Jesus that come out of this cultural Christianity um, and how they might be hurtful. So the first one I just have written down here, let's just kind of discuss what this looks like. I labeled him rule following Jesus. So just with that title, Philip, what comes to mind of what attributes about Jesus are really being um, amplified with a rule following Jesus? It could be talking in terms of governmental rules or, or sanctions, you know, mm-hmm. like um, something that a scenario could be if someone says, well, Jesus would do everything that the law, that the mm-hmm. governmental law says, and he would, he would follow it to the letter and he would, you know, right. and he would encourage others to do the same. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and then taking that to, you know, the religious level, like that he, the main thing that this rule following Jesus was all about was enforcing morality. Right. And again, this is a truth. Like Jesus was was very passionate about people um, following God's way. But what does this overshadow about uh, about Jesus that is also true? Like, who does this tend to hurt um, if this is the only picture of Jesus that uh, that a, the people or a a group or a church puts on display. Well, it comes out in the form of legalism a lot, where the main focal point of the operation of the church is to tick the boxes um, of these beliefs and rules that have been set out. And anybody who's non-conforming to that set of restrictions or that set of requirements is just uh, shunned or, or looked down on. Right. Another one that comes to mind for me is the person that is like, marginalized, the person that really is in need of, of, of care and love, if the message that they hear about Jesus is, uh, hey, I see you in your like despair, and the reason that you're there is because you are a sinner, and you've put yourself there, and... You're not following these rules. You're not following these rules. <laughs> It's not very helpful. It's not very helpful. And obviously, like, theologically, you know, there's, you can go that way. Obviously, yes, like, we're all in, the brokenness of this world is tied to the brokenness of what we've created it to be. But when you look at the way that Jesus got to work, especially when you follow through the, the Gospel of Luke, like, he was way more concerned with meeting people's needs to begin with. Yeah. Um, so much so to the point that when John the Baptist was in prison, he sent a guy out saying, hey, are you the guy or not? You know, like he sent uh, one of John's disciples to Jesus and uh, just asking like, hey, are you, are you the Messiah or not? Because to that point, most of what Jesus had been up to was very, and don't be triggered by this, you know, us conservative Christians, but it was very social. It was meeting people's needs. It was... Hunger, he, sickness, exactly, healing. yes. With no with no um, conditions or implications, right? By saying like, you know, in other words, he didn't come to someone and say, "I'm not going to heal you, or I'm not going to uh, provide for your hunger until you get your life in order." Right. If, yeah. If, no if you don't get the if you don't get these rules under check, then I'm not going to heal you. That's not how he operated. He just he he found people and radically changed their their path right. by interrupting their life right. and, and, and then giving the, the call to response. And it's so so unique to follow that, that narrative with John because John announced him. This is 
this is the guy. This is the Messiah. At the baptism of Jesus, John the Baptist was like, this is the guy. But it, there comes a point where he sees how Jesus went around with his ministry that he kind of starts to doubt. He says, are you the guy? Because John was all about repentance. He was preaching a baptism of repentance. And so when he sees Jesus, you know, meeting all these needs of both Jews and Gentiles and not really start enforcing a very, like, hard-nosed, rule-following regimen, John's like, what are you doing? And I think that that's where the rule-following Jesus gets maybe, def- like, deflected by the Bible, um, is, yes, Jesus later on does very much so come in line with this idea of repentance and being born again and becoming a new creation, but to completely deny the fact that he it, uh, was concerned with people's well-being apart from whether or not they were yet following the rules it just doesn't depict him correctly. Yeah, it was unconditional and not dependent on, you know, if people had their act together. Yeah. Which a lot of times, I mean, it should be the way that churches operate today in following that example. But then again, when we kind of fall into the the one little box of rule following Jesus, we get these ideas that, you know, if people are, if people are going to be a part of the church, then they have to kind of clean up and yeah. and do this thing, and that totally alienates the rest of the community who's not already a part of. And we wouldn't say it, you know, we wouldn't say oh, you know, because it's it's a very cultural Christianity thing to say, oh, just come as you are. Oh, right. But it's almost with this asterisk of, but you got ten days after salvation to get it together. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that's that's rule following Jesus, and that's not to you know. That's not to say that true salvation leads to sanctification. It does, but I think that that checks our expectation of of how Jesus expected it all to go down. Right, and we're not even saying that Jesus wasn't like that. We're not saying that Jesus never called people to be different than they were before right. Before they encountered he did. him. He did every single time, but it wasn't conditional in, in, in the sense of saying, until you do this, I'm not going to do anything for you. Right. And we, we shouldn't be that way either. Mm. So, so that's rule following, Jesus. This next one, I'll let you introduce it, Philip. This one was kind of your idea. Take us into this next um, version of Jesus that maybe comes out of our cultural Christianity. Jesus, um, as an idea, uh, more of a philosophy than an actual person and, and the Godhead, like, um, in the flesh. Right. So... We, we get this a lot from, especially with younger people, when we try to explain who Jesus is to, to children and, and younger people, we'll say, you need to ask Jesus into your heart, or um, we, kind of, we kind of talk about Jesus as if he were more of a way of living or a, uh, an idea than an actual living, breathing, walking incarnation of, of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of like... He becomes the little angel on your shoulder. Right. We, we, we turn him into, like, if you, if you just believe in the idea of Jesus, then you will be saved, right. rather than if you follow Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, right. then you'll be saved. And so we're, like, we'll definitely dive into that idea a little bit more later, but just kind of a, uh over-encompassing claim, like, what, what's the harm of that understanding of Jesus? Um, well, it's easy to conform. If, if that's the way that you teach Jesus to other people, 
it then becomes easy to conform Jesus to whomever you want him to be. Right. As long as you accept him, you know. So you just have to, to say, believe he's real. Right. If you, and if that he you, did something. If you ask him into your heart, then you're good. But 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 who is he and what did he command us to do? You know, not just kind of like if you if you accept the idea of Jesus into your heart. Mm-hmm. That's that's not what we're. If you accept to. the idea of Jesus and that he was a guy that raised from the dead, this just just abstract concept. There was a man named Jesus who raised from the dead. That is what gets you saved. Yeah, and that's incorrect. And that's incomplete. I yeah. think. Um, abs- yeah, good. That's good. We'll, we'll dive into that one more a little bit later. Um, here's another version of Jesus. Angry Jesus, and this kind of can uh, table flipping Jesus. Yeah, this is uh, this this one sometimes goes with rule following Jesus, but it is it is different. But it's the version of Jesus that gives people the excuse to get enraged about anything. Yeah, politics, people who believe differently, the program on television. I mean, it's just kind of the the finger pointing Jesus, mm-hmm. where it's like, you, you know, you're not believing like I believe. So I'm furious at you. Right. And again, based on truth, he did get angry. There is righteous anger, and there are places for that. But uh, how does this, if this is like, becomes the overwhelming version of Jesus, how does this misrepresent him? What does it lead to? Um, how might it misdirect both believers and non-believers? There's a, um, if, if angry Jesus is the, the banner that you fly under, then it's kind of the line between your fleshly anger and what would be considered as righteous anger kind of gets blurred. Right. And it can become difficult to separate um, sinful feelings of anger from um, from what you think would is actual righteous anger. Yeah. And, and Jesus' anger clearly comes um, f- from situations where, the, where God's glory, the, the glory of his Father is being just spat upon, really. Right. And uh, whenever we get angry in times that are more opinion-based than really us getting mad that God's not being glorified. Right. Um, and I think that that hurts people because um, how many, how many you know, people grow up in a household who are scarred by overly angry parents? Yeah. Um, and if we're, if we're, you know, suggesting that there's this fatherly figure... Who is that way... Not good. Not good. Yeah. Uh, Maybe you can almost relabel that one also as like warrior Jesus, which... Ah, uh, yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, which is what the um, the Jewish people or thought he was going to yeah. come as. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are still thinking along that line. Right. That, that Jesus is that way, even though he, he didn't come right. you know, to conquer the first time. Yeah, the first time. The first time. Well, in a way, though, he did conquer, but we're going to redefine what that word conquer means. Not with the sword. Not with the sword, no. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, I, but yeah, that angry warrior Jesus, again, part of who he is, um, but... Not the sum of who he not is. Not the sum of who he is, and that yeah. uh, it's important. It's important for us to recognize that. Last one, um, and this one can get a little dicey. We gave it a couple different names. Um, Hang with us here. Yes. So this one we uh, gave kind of three different names. The first one that I'd say is Mascot Jesus. Um, and if that doesn't, if you can't really follow where I'm going with that, here's a couple other ideas. Politics Jesus or Endorsement Jesus. Philip, take us... You, you helped me label <laughs> yeah, that one. You, you, give your, you give your two cents for what, what, what we mean by that. What we're talking about here is like 
using Jesus as a label or, or a sticker of approval, you know, mm-hmm. for something that may not be biblical. And, right. and a lot of times isn't, you know, things that aren't uh, um, specifically taught in Scripture, but that are just kind of conservative or cultural, right. will we'll kind of put the Jesus stamp on it and say, you know, Jesus would want this or Jesus would support this right. and kind of appeal to the... Um, to the evangelical market, as it were, right, and you see that a lot in politics. Um, so there's a there's a passage um, in Revelation 13 that uh, really puts this on display, and without having to completely unpack the whole book of Revelation, basically, the only time that the word the concept of a lamb in the book of Revelation is used is in reference to Jesus as this amazing, glorious, slain lamb. And Revelation 13 introduced one of the beasts, which we're not even going to talk about what all of that means, but here's just the concept that really ties in with this idea of mascot Jesus, is it describes this beast like this. It says, it had two horns and looks like a lamb. So at this point, the only thing that a lamb could refer to is Jesus. Right. And this beast looks like And it, it. says, this beast looks like a lamb, but the passage goes on to say, it spoke like a dragon. Mm. and the dragon, obviously, in context, being the enemy of God, um, the accuser, the the adversary of God. And I, it goes on. The book of Revelation is very political. We'll, we'll just I'll draw back just to say this, that whenever Jesus is used as your mascot to back up anything that you say, even if it's right, even if it is biblical, right, yeah. if it is not bringing glory to him as the, the, who he is, the 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 um, the king of the universe, the Messiah, which we're, which we're going to unpack all of these ideas. Don't do it. You're 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 playing into that. Looks like a lamb, but it's speaking like a dragon. Yeah. Um, because it's bringing glory to something else. Like even if you're, it's like you're giving credence. Like, see, Jesus is even like this. Now, Jesus is help helping me bring about my point, my ideas, my yeah. conclusion here. Yeah. Man, that's so dangerous. Right. Um. Because you're using it, you're using Jesus as a, as a as a brand or as a label yes. to kind of put on your on your idea or your product. I'm I'm studying with our college students through the Book of Daniel, and there's a correlation that I've I've made with this idea and Nazi Germany. I mean, the mm-hmm. Germans, Hitler, many of his people, they like used Christianity as a part of their marketing scheme. Campaign, yeah, yeah. that's scary. Yeah. And it can be done. So, because as I mean, just as you say, it looks like a lamb. By all accounts, on the outside, it looks good, like everything is 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 in accordance with Scripture. But if it's campaigning for something that's not top priority, of the glory of God, then it's it's useless. It's rubbish. So if there are lots of versions of Jesus that often overshadow the full character of Jesus, the question then becomes, what are the important aspects to Jesus' character that should be understood when we say the phrase, I believe in Jesus? Um, so Philip, this, this is not objective. We've, we've chosen a couple things to talk about, but... Um, what kind of just idea becomes 
begins to surface with this uh, question of what is predominantly important to know, understand, and envision and portray about Jesus when we say, I believe in him, and when we try to show other people what our belief looks like, like um, what, what really needs to kind of take the forefront. When we are describing who he is to other people? Yeah, or? and just this idea of, of I believe in Jesus. Right. Um, if all of these things that we've been talking about, these different versions, are truths about him, yeah. but they shouldn't take the forefront, what is a forefront that should be taken, especially in regards to his Jewish background and tradition? Right. Kind of a master-servant relationship right. where Jesus is the master, mm-hmm. and we look to Jesus as um, the example for all instruction, all uh, all um, attitude and behavior and the way that we should live. We, we look at how He lived and told us to live and, and follow that and uh, yeah. try to follow His example. And the the idea, I mean, that you're describing there, that you're embodying is what the idea in... Uh, ancient context would describe a good king. Yeah. Someone that leads people well. Right. Um, and you love the king because you know he loves you, you know he cares for you, and so you do the hard work, mm-hmm. and you do the, the hard labor to serve the king. And so we're going to run with this word king for a second, and the reason that we are is um, Jesus, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, his his movement, his popularity wasn't based solely on just his, like, prowess as a socio-political person. Like, he wasn't—he didn't get popular. He's not renowned in history just because he— Shook up the mold. Yeah. Broke the mold. Came on the scene and started teaching something brand new. A lot of people, I think, have that idea, like, that Jesus was a Jew that came on the scene and reformed everything. Like, here's some brand new ideas that you've never thought of that— that have never been, you know, foreshadowed in any way. That's not the case. Right. Jesus is standing on the conviction of thousands of years of expectation, um, and it's revo- it's really rooted in the claim that the Old Testament makes, namely that humanity needs rescuing, and God promised that a king would come to rescue them, and that's where this idea of him being a king is where we're going to run with as being a really important thing that people understand if they say, I believe in Jesus. So really quick, um, (laughs) what is the word, Philip, that people often think is Jesus's last name? Christ. Christ, yeah. I mean, it's the word that goes hand in hand with uh, that word, Jesus of Nazareth. We think Jesus Christ. Well, it makes sense, you know, Mary and Joseph Christ... Had Jesus, and his last name was Christ. I mean, I'm joking. This is a joke, everyone. <laughs> it's a joke. Well, but but seriously, like a lot of people, um, and this is not to throw shade at anybody, but uh, even if you know better, that's often how your mind thinks when you say the phrase Jesus Christ. You're saying it in the same way that your brain registers your first and last name. Right. Well, okay. I'm going to get really nerdy and technical for just a second. His Technically, his last name would have been of Nazareth. Right, Jesus of Nazareth. And, and we, you know, because people, their, people's surnames were kind of uh, identified by where they came from. Or who their father was. If you was. think, like, Leonardo da Vinci, right. doesn't, his, his da last Vinci. name is not da Vinci, it means Leonardo of Vinci, of Vinci, yeah, which is where Leonardo comes from. So it's the same thing when you see Jesus of Nazareth, 
that kind of is his full name. Right. It, it just tells people who he is and where he came so from. So let's talk about that word Christ for a second. Yeah. You got you got geeky. We'll get geeky again right here. Let's go. Let's do it. So Christ, um, the the word Christ is what we get from the Greek word of of Christo, like Christo, which is the word that means anointed one. It is the word that is the exact same word as the Hebrew word Messiah. So in essence, when we say Jesus Christ. You, when you read that, should think in your head, Jesus, the Messiah. Um, and some of your translations maybe do a good job of sometimes using the word Messiah there. Um, I love it when they do that. It really helps because every time someone references Jesus as Jesus Christ, it, it, we just that just is, gets thrown in as a title for him, and we don't think about it. But there really are big implications. Big implications. It is saying that this is the Messiah that we've believed in, yeah. Jesus, the Messiah. Now... Let's let's talk about that for a second. What what does it mean? What is the expectation of this Messiah? And this is why it's going to be a it's something that we talk about all the time on here because I really do think that some of the biggest issues that we run into when it comes to any issue misrepresentation of God of is just because people don't know what their Bible is actually saying. Mm-hmm. And so when Jesus is coming on the scene and people believe he is the Messiah, here is in essence what's going on, and it's what we just said a second ago, that humanity, the, the, the Old Testament is claiming as one big story that humanity needs rescuing, and God promised that a king would come to rescue them. Now, if this is maybe a little uh, foreign thought process for some people, um, let me direct you. I'll read this. This is out of the, um, the book Luke, chapter 24. I referenced it a couple weeks ago, um, but uh, just to kind of put it into context of what we mean when we say that the Old Testament is making a claim and is pointing to the need of a Messiah. So pick up, this is Luke chapter 24, this is after the resurrection of Jesus, and it picks up with these two disciples who were walking down the street, and they were people who were followers of Jesus, but obviously as you read the story, you kind of recognize that they kind of didn't really understand everything that was going on, because they were really, really, really sad and hadn't heard the news, and just, uh, anyway, we'll just pick up on it. So this is Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. It says, The same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but they could not recognize him. He asked them, now that's a different can of worms altogether. We won't talk about that today. But <clears throat> for whatever reason, they didn't immediately know that this was Jesus. And he asked them, what are you guys discussing? What are you uh, so intently talking about? They stopped short, sadness on their face. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here in the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. There you go, Jesus of Nazareth. There you go. They said, he was a prophet who did powerful things. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people, but our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Look at this. They said, we had hoped that he was the Messiah dude, who had come to rescue Israel. Man, This all happened three days ago. 
Then some of the women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early in the morning. They came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, that they had seen angels, and that Jesus was alive. Some of our men ran to see it, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the woman had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, (laughs) you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then, I love this, this is verse 27, it says, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Skip down really quick. So one more story that he appears with the, the, the disciples in the, in the room, just that, that scene where he just kind of appears in the room. And this is what he says. Um, he says, why are you frightened? He asked, why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as it watched. That's a funny, just little random piece of information. But then he said this, and this is, again, highlighting this aspect. He said this to them, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms, FYI, that is Bible talk language, that's Jew language for the Old Testament, right. the law, the prophets, and the, the Psalms, the writings. He said that everything about me written in there had to be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So here's, here's the point that I want us to just kind of talk about for a second, Philip. Jesus seemed to be convinced that every bit of his Hebrew Bible was intended to point towards him. Not in a, like, every single verse, there's a weird, symbolic, allegorical way to see Jesus hiding under a rock. Right, right. But rather that the story and everything that is encompassed with, that's being recorded throughout the Hebrew Bible, is begging for a Messiah. How does that change what we say when we say we believe in Jesus. So what what just kind of can of worms, how does that make it heavier to say, I believe in Jesus, or to say that I believe in Jesus Christ? Yeah. Christ, the Messiah. The Messiah. Means that you have to, you can't just neglect Old Testament writings. You can't just neglect uh, studying the the cultures and traditions of, of the Old Testament writers. And you have to go back to the beginning. Uh, now, don't, don't misunderstand that we're saying that you have to gain all this knowledge before you can truly come to know right. Jesus and have a relationship with him, but this is, this is something that should grow in your heart. You know, the more you get to know Jesus, really, you will know him better right. by understanding these prophecies and these writings and where, where all the foundation lays that he was fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, obviously, and you're going to take us through that here in just a second, Philip, um, what it looks like to actually step into the salvation that Jesus offers. But what we're, what we're saying, the, I guess the, the wisdom that we're suggesting is that once we do come to know Jesus, if all we are then reporting about him or telling the world or um, confessing that we believe about him is that his name was Jesus and that you need to believe in him 
like believe just that he existed and that he died and got up from the dead, if that just over and over just becomes the only thing that's being discussed about Jesus, he becomes this ambiguous figure that's just based on one or two claims. Right. When in reality, we the claim about him is he's the Messiah, and that is a there's a million claims that come with that, and it's thousands of years deep, and the, and mainly it's thousand years deep of promises that God has made that He right. would bring redemption, that He would make all things new, that He would defeat the the enemies of God, um, all of these things, and and that's what you pick up on when you know your Old Testament, yeah, um, and that makes Jesus so much sweeter. And some, for some people who maybe reject this idea of believing in Jesus, it's because they just see when you say, hey, you need to believe in Jesus. Just the surface level It's claims. just an ambiguous, like, okay, let me get this straight. You're telling me I need to believe that a, a guy, a man, was this important figure um, who got up out, out of the grave, and that somehow is significant to my life. Yeah, why would I care? Exactly. Yeah. Like, if you think about it in that way, like, why would you care if that's right. if that's all that your uh, faith was based off of? Now, right. obviously, you know, I know that yours isn't and mine isn't, but if that's all we're asking people to step into, it's pretty shallow. It's it's very very shallow. Yeah. So then, but that's not the simplicity of the gospel that we've been taught for a long time. I think there's middle ground. Um, now, one of the main places that people typically go to when talking about salvation talk, especially it's a very, um, in our area, the culture around here, it's called the Rom- Romans Road. Um, lots of great stuff in Romans. I mean, the whole letter to the Romans is Paul really diving deep into what is the gospel and what is the implications that it has over people who say that Jesus is the Messiah. And there's a passage that's quoted very often when it comes to, you know, this conversion experience of what it takes to become a follower of Jesus. So Philip, take us through that passage and um, maybe highlight some things that are helpful and things that maybe need to be taken a little bit more seriously whenever we use this as uh, instruction for what it means to become a Christian. Right. So this is, this passage is coming from Romans chapter 10, and I'll start in verse 8 here uh, and, and read through this. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. That's kind of the, that's, that's the short thing that we right. always point to and say, Here's how you get saved. If you ask Jesus into your heart and you believe that he raised from the dead, bada bing, bada boom, ship it. Yep. You know? So take so in light of Jesus being king. Right. Th- this um this Messiah figure who has been talked about to come that would lead Israel and all of humanity into a right standing with God and obedience with God. With that in mind, how, how should we read this passage? Well, even up a few verses, Paul kind of sets up that... Uh, the, 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 the quote we always bring in, or the scripture we always bring in is, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we... Um, kind of 
put the surface level version of that out there for people to kind of uh, hear and, 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 and accept. But just a few verses earlier, Paul lays down a thought that kind of deepens that scripture a little bit. Mm. So this is the same chapter, Romans chapter 10, but this is coming from verse 4 when Paul says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And what he's saying is that, just as we, we've talked about already, Christ is the culmination of these prophecies and these thousands of years of thought and hope and longing for the Messiah, Christ is the Messiah. Right, and so uh, just to clarify what Philip is saying there, sometimes when Paul uses the word law, when he says the law, he is talking about the... Um, the law of Moses. The, yeah, the, 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 uh, like the, the decrees, the things that need to be followed. But the law is also a way of talking about the story of the Old Testament. Right. And, and when so Paul I think says, both of those are kind of in mind what he is saying this. Yeah, and when, when, when Paul says Christ is the end of the law, he's not, he's not saying that Christ finishes off the law and says right. There's this, no more this rules. is irrelevant. What he's saying is Christ is the end point of the culmination of all of this tradition right. and law. Right. Christ is fulfilling all of it. So then take us through what it means to say, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So all of this in mind, he is the Messiah. He is the culmination of, of all of this leading up. What is the definitive difference in just this belief that Jesus came to make sure we have a, a correct set of belief systems versus what's kind of tied in with this idea of kingship and authority and lordship. Well, the confessing with your mouth that Jesus as Lord is kind of the image of pledging fealty to a king mm. or pledging yourself to the, to the services of a king and saying that I'm going to serve under you, I'm going to do what you say and follow your decrees and, and love you. Uh, as my king. Mm. And the verses that, that Paul says, Romans 10, 10, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. There's a two-part thing mm -hmm. going on here. There's confession, yes, you have to say these words and make them publicly known. Right. Uh, and that's... The confession results in salvation. Right. That's where th these things begin. But the heart... Believing in the heart results in righteousness, which means a change of life, mm -hmm. a change of action, and a change of, of um, really serving your own purposes. And Be, your own because it's, it's you saying, this guy's king, I'm not. Exactly. Um, Renouncing your own kingship. Mm -hmm. Which is, man, that is a huge theme throughout the, the story of Scripture. And it's Jesus coming and saying, hey, I came to be king, not in the way that... People expected me to be king, maybe, like, but over overthrowing the expectations of this broken world that we live in. Right. More than I've ever seen. I see the so Jesus as the Messiah is kind of the that last portion of what we were talking about, being crucial to understanding the bigger claim of saying, I believe in Jesus, and saying that he is steeped in the Jewish Israelite expectation in the scriptures 
that we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scripture, that they are claiming and expecting that for God to fulfill his promises, it is tied around this idea of a king who is to come and lead God's people into obedience. But also, when you go all the way back to Abraham, you see that the promises also includes the whole world, that all nations through the offspring of Abraham, who Matthew very clearly for us in his gospel points Matthew that Abraham and Jesus are linked that Jesus is bringing this blessing of this kingdom, of him being the king to all people. And that is a huge first um, claim of saying who Jesus is, that he's this Messiah. But there's another one that we're about to talk about, um, and it calls us back to the I believe in God discussion where we were talking about God's name. Mm. And uh, we, we kind of just breezed over it a little bit because we got so caught up in talking about Elohim and spiritual beings and craziness like that. Um, but let's let's uh, visit, just for a second, the burning bush scene. Ooh, um, good scene. A, a great scene. So with, I, a, with a soundtrack by Hans Zimmer. Oh, yes. Oh, man. <laughs> the Prince of Egypt. Great. That'd be, uh, did Hans Zimmer do that? Yeah, he did the score. Oh, I knew that. Yeah. Do you know who did the... The track for uh, did you ever see the Christian Bale um, gods? Uh, it was like uh, Exodus. No, Egypt gods and men. Gods something. and kings. Gods and kings. Yeah. No, I never did see that. No, it was, I actually thought it, it was weird. There was some definitely weird parts about it, but it put uh, some certain things on screen was just cool to see, like cultural kind yeah, of relevance, yeah. and yeah. just recognizing that like Moses was raised as an Egyptian. Yeah, you know, just kind of that was kind of cool to see. Anyway. So here we are. Burning bush. After that, Moses is out in the wilderness, and uh, God has been hearing the cries of his people, and God promised that he would deliver his people, so therefore he's going. This is another step in him being um, faithful to his promises, and he reveals himself to Moses. I'll just pick up right there in that story. Um, He said, "'Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground.' And he said, "'I am the God, the Elohim.'" of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, and we're going to come back to that because that's an in, we, we talked a little bit about it, but if you're reading along, you should see that that word LORD is all caps. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmaster, ma- taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of all of these Canaanites and lots of ites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, Moses starts making some excuses. First, he says uh, that I'm... I don't speak good. I'm not good, yeah. I don't speak good. Um... He said, firstly, he says, who am I that I should do this? You know, like, uh, who am I? I'm just a, you know, stupid guy. Um, And he says, I will be with you. And then Moses said to God, if I come to the people and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, this becomes a somewhat familiar territory for us, but there's things that we miss just because we don't speak ancient Hebrew. God said to Moses, we, and we're, we're familiar with this part, 
I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. Then verse 15 says this, God also said to Moses, say this to the people, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Okay, so pause for a second. And just, I'm just, I just want you to process this with, with, with me, Philip, a little bit. Which name is it? Is it I am or the Lord? Yes. <laughs> Great question. The answer is yes. Yes. No, that's, it, it really is an unfortunate thing that has just kind of been skipped over, but it's beautiful. Basically, what, what goes on here is the word for I am most most likely is a word that sounds something along the lines of pronounced like this, eh, yeah. That means I am. Now, let's just talk grammatically for a second, Philip. If, if I were to come up to you and say, hey, I met a God, and you ask me, what's his name? And I said, I am. Grammatically, don't you think you'd be a little bit confused right there? I would first thought is like, are you claiming to exactly. be the God? Wait, yeah. Are, are you talking about yourself or who are you talking about here? What's his name? I am. Wait, wait well, what's your name? <laughs> I, uh, what? That's not what I said. And that's exactly what's happening here is that right. God switches it from the word ehye, I am who I am, ehye, asher, ehye. He switches it to say, but when you go talk to them and say what my name is, you say Yahweh, which is, again, our best guess at what that word means was, which means he is who he is. So that grammatically, you're not confused. You're not saying I. You're, yeah, you're saying he is. Right. He is who he is. Isn't that awesome? Like, it just puts so much context to tying the word Yahweh with I am. Right. Um, okay, so that's that's the... And we could talk forever about what that name implies, just the the sovereignty and the, um, you know, the uh, just the eternal nature of saying, I am the God who has always been, right? Unlike all these other Elohim who were created. Created beings. I mm. am. The creator. Yeah. What Elohim are you? I am the Elohim. I am who I am, what I am. Yeah, I yeah. always have been. Right. Incredible. So, fast forward then, that's early in the Old Testament, fast forward always all the way to the end through the things we've talked about, this idea of there being a king that's coming who needs to this man, this man king, to come and lead God's people back into righteousness and obedience to God. Something peculiar starts to happen, Philip. Take us, take us into that. Oh, buddy, do I get chills when, I, when we make these links and we cross these great divides here. So let's, let's do one of those together. This is coming from John uh, chapter 8, and these are the words of Jesus. This is, this is a big claim, and I'm going to read it because I can't wait to read it for you. What start, did I say? Start at 48. Yeah, I know. Okay, cool. That's what it says on here. Sweet. What did I say? Uh, I don't remember, but it wasn't that. I said John chapter 8. Okay, sweet. Go for it. Okay. So this is John chapter 8, starting in verse 48. The words of, uh, the words of Jesus are what we're going to highlight here. So verse 48 says this, The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory, for there is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I will be a liar like you, but I do know Him and keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Oh, man. Like, that is one of... well, this is one of the biggest mic drop moments of all time. Of all time, and it's not even like <coughs> Jesus. It's not even like Jesus was just saying, "Hey guys, I'm the Almighty God of the universe." He dropped the name. He dropped the name, and said that that's who he was. Wowie wow 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 wow. Now imagine the look on the Jews' face faces like their eyes were probably wide. They're looking at each other like, did, did he just... Did he really have the audacity to say that? Did I hear him correctly? Before Abraham was, I am. I am. And just to try to tie in this whole story thing together, did you catch that when he says, Abraham looked forward to the day when he, to see me? Again, this is tying into the story of God making promises right. that there would be a, a person that uh, was the promised blessing of Abraham. And that promise gets passed to, to Isaac and to Jacob and then to the people of Israel and then through King David. This idea of a, of a being tied all the way back to the garden in Genesis 3 when God says that there will be enmity between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the snake. Some of you guys maybe have heard this before, this artistic, amazing poem where God says, in the end, the offspring of the woman is going to step on the head of the snake. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. We're tracing it all the way through, and Jesus is now tying this Messiah claim to say, hey, the only person who was capable of doing this... Is me. Is I am. Of course I knew him. He's, He's me. me. <laughs> yeah. This whole this whole scene reminds me of the line from the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Mm-hmm. And I think Hark the Herald Angels Sing is my favorite Christmas carol for this reason and for this line when it says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Mm-hmm. That is this passage right here with, with Jesus saying, I am the incarnate deity. Yes. Yeah. The beauty that begins to kind of take shape and be revealed is when you realize that the promises that God made in the Old Testament only find, could the only like equation that equals out to fulfill them all is the incarnation of Jesus. Mm. It is to say that God promised a king, and yet at the same time, God promised that he would be the savior of the world. So who is it? Is it Jesus or is it God? Yes. yes. That's, what's, that's the beauty of it, and that's what we say when we, when we say, I believe in Jesus. 
that when we say he is the son of God, we are saying that he is, yes, he is, he, he is born, and so therefore the idea of sonship comes into play and, and the role that he takes under the Father, but he is the essence of who God is, and it shows our utter dependence on him, that this God, the God of the Old Testament, that made all of these promises of redemption to fix the problems of, of mankind, he came to fix it himself. He's here. Yeah. That, that just gives chills. That's uh, an incredible passage, just to really chew on the idea that, you know, the last time talking about the character of God, Yahweh, being a person with an experience, a past, a character, promises, things he's done, things he's said, and that spiritual being is Jesus. Yeah. And that, that's hard. That's... That's that's the mystery of the of of you know when you start talking about the Trinity. Here's another passage. Turn with me there, Philip. This is uh, Philippians chapter two. It's a beautiful passage, one of my favorites. Um, look at verse five. It says, "Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ." I'm gonna let me rephrase that. Which is yours in the Messiah Jesus, who though he was in the form of God. Now this is a. Uh, very uh, well-known passage for a lot of us, but I want to point something out to it. To it. It's just the beauty of what Paul is claiming here. Who, though Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, oh, this is awesome. Now, people get, I think there's confusion here. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Okay, okay. I can't wait, I can't we wait. Know, we know where we're going with this already, but okay. here, here's where people get confused. Verse 10 goes on to say, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So there's kind of been this uh, I, I had the opportunity to preach on this, and I, I kind of threw some shade at a couple of modern worship songs, because this verse, a lot of, tr- of interpretations has really just kind of glorified the name Jesus in the sense of, like, Jesus is the name above every name. Right. But there, there was there, a lot of people named Jesus. There are people named Jesus even now. Yeah, there's people named Jesus now. There were and other there were. Yeshuas, Yeshua being the, the name that Jesus was actually called. In his time. In his time. Yeah. So what's going on here? If God bestowing on him the name as a human that is above every name, what name is being bestowed here? We read on, it says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue, verse 11, confess that Jesus the Messiah is... Lord. Lord. Now, just really quick, uh, your your New Testament Lord isn't capitalized. That's because... Mine by, is. Is it? It is. Oh, you mean all caps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, all no. Caps. Okay, sorry, my bad. No, it's all good. All, it's not all caps. That's because in the Greek, the word there is really just the word Adonai. It is just the, the word for Lord. Here's why. Historically, the Jews got really superstitious, and they wanted the Messiah to come. And so in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, in order to hopefully, they were like, maybe we're taking the Lord's name in vain. So we're not going to even say We're not say even going to say the Lord's name, and we're just going to say Adonai. We're just yeah. going to say Lord. So every time you see the word Lord in the New Testament, it is just the, the actual title word Lord, but it 
bears the weight weight of what an Israelite knows is the name. And that's what's being said here is that every tongue confesses that this guy named Jesus, this man, this Messiah King, is in flesh Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. That's insanity. And, but that's at the heart of what we say when we believe that Jesus is God, is that this Yahweh character, this Elohim that has done incredible things and made um, promises and, and acted incredibly and has built a story, he brought to an incredible climax the story by becoming the Messiah himself. Um, and that's just a mystery that we could revel on for... Because there's so much that comes with that, like a Romans 8 thing that says that God became flesh so that he could crucify sin in flesh to defeat it. And because none of us could do that. Right, because we're already tainted, right. but the perfect God had to come to be flesh to kill sin in the form of flesh. Mm-hmm. And rescue us. Right. Than I've ever seen. I see the so that's a lot, and uh, we're not suggesting that uh, every time you share Jesus with somebody, that weightiness needs to come out. But it is important that you know you know that, um, because it does have implications on maybe how you talk about Jesus and the way you communicate him. It'll, it, yeah, it will change the way that you think and, and talk about Jesus. And how you, it, it, I guess maybe the trajectory that you take conversations on. Like, is your, is your uh, goal to get somebody to admit that they believe in a guy named Jesus? Or are you trying to take them through this journey? Or, yeah, are you trying to get them to the point to see, hey, this is the King of Kings. So we always want to make this as applicable as we can. Um, so with everything that we've discussed today, Philip, reaching from which Jesus are we talking about, to Jesus the Messiah, mm. to Jesus Yahweh in flesh, um, what are some concise pieces of wisdom you might offer, first to the believer, um, that might cause them to worship God more in their hearts or change the way that their life is lived out in response to the things we've talked about today? So for the believer, I'd say... Even, you know, as we've said earlier, don't, when you think of Jesus, don't be surface level. Don't just reduce him to a personality trait or don't put him in a box um, or, or, or kind of match him, him to fit your narrative or your idea of who he should be. But step outside of those lines of thought and consume and absorb the narrative of Jesus from the beginning of Scripture mm. to the end, mm. because that is the, that's the narrative of the Bible. Right. Um, so let that soak into what you already believe about Jesus. And the thing is that a, a, m- the majority of believers, at least that we know, are already thinking this way, uh, and they know it to be true in their hearts, but sometimes you just need to intentionally think about it right. and intentionally broaden your heart to to love and marvel the full story yeah marvel at it and that's what it is um, to delight 
in the story, to delight mm. in the Word. Mm. That's good. Okay, now with the person who maybe isn't sure if they're a Christian, struggling with where they stand with it, um, how does this hopefully offer a message for them? Where does this meet a person who has experienced cultural Christianity and it's been maybe the reason that they aren't a Christian? Right. Hopefully for that person listening, you've noticed today, if you've made it this far without cutting cutting the episode off, uh, hopefully you've noticed that Jesus is so much more than the way he's been represented to you. Um, if you've just seen a little portion. If, if Jesus looks like the majority of the culture, then you've been shown the wrong Jesus, is what we're saying. And we want you to uh, at least be open to viewing the full narrative mm. and not not just kind of writing Jesus off as an angry white guy. You know? Right. <laughs> I think that I would echo you almost um, pretty pretty similarly with both of them, in regards to the believer, I would say, um, man, let this challenge you to say, uh, in order for me to know both God the Father and Jesus the Son, I can't just read a couple of my favorite New Testament passages that talk about Jesus. Or even just the four Gospels, yeah. which present the life of Jesus right. in the flesh, but but you can't just stop there. Exactly, yeah. because these four Gospel writers if you just take a second to look at them, they are so, the way that they're organizing their stories, like Matthew, starting with a genealogy, it is so clear that he's trying to communicate to you that this guy is so profound because he is linked to a long, long story, a true story of expectation that uh, God has been writing. And uh, there's so much context and character development about who this God is in Jesus that you miss if that's if you just know your New Testament. He's and, more than just a good guy or just a good teacher. Right. He's, He's got history. And uh, so that would be my challenge. It, it, it's really been the last, I would say, four years of my life, four or five years has been opening up my Bible. And honestly, like in the kind of like that Luke passage we were saying, asking God, hey, open the scriptures for me so that I can see exactly who Jesus is throughout the whole story. And what's wonderful, the way that you read in Luke about how he opened the minds of his followers to understand, understand. the scripture. And this is, this is after he was raised from the dead. There was exactly. things they still didn't understand, and he, they walked with him for years. And he had to open their minds. Yeah. And, and he'll do that for you as well if you, if you, if you ask him to uh, as you read the Word. Read the word in the power of of God's understanding yeah. that, that He can offer to you, and th- and it's not easy. There's like it's not. I'm not going to pretend it's a one time supernatural event that you suddenly have all understanding. No, but there are great great teachers out there that uh, that really help you help all of us to see and understand what the the claims the Bible is trying to make for the glory of God, and that that really is the best filter to put it through is. Um, there's going to be disagreements on interpretations of everything, but if their heart is pointing us to the glory of God in the interpretation of, of the Bible, that's that's the point. And so if a person gets caught up way more on politics or, you know, the supernatural realm or, you know, all this, any direction that isn't pointing to the, 
the glorification of God because God became man to save us um, by being our king and, and establishing his kingdom by dying on a cross. Like, that's, that's so much um, more than just saying, I believe in Jesus and I believe that he died and got up from the dead. To the non-believer or to the person that um, maybe is a skeptic, doesn't know where they fall, here's, again, a bit echoing Philip here, but I would just say, um, see that Jesus is not tied just to our Southern um, Bible Belt understanding of who he is. He is very Jewish. He is rooted in a thousand, thousands of year old conviction and expectation that is way, 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 way more profound than the incorrect view of who Jesus is that maybe has been presented to you. That this is, that the claim has is, is been around for a long time, that God has revealed himself to man because he loves you. And that the claim is, is that it came to a, a like, climactic point where the God of the universe to fix all things and to hold true to his promises became the very people that had messed up the world and sinned against him in order to fix it. And the way that he fixed it was bearing the consequences, the the sin, the death, the brokenness of the world. He didn't deserve to bear it because as a perfect God, he was not subjected to the brokenness of the world, but he, he took it on himself anyway. And, um, and that's what we mean when we say he died for us. Because the result of our brokenness is this, this death, this separation of life, both in the like literal sense of living and also just, I mean, you, I think we all can agree we know what it means when we say like something was life-giving. You know, that was a life-giving situation. Like Jesus is breathing life back into all regards by taking the opposite on himself and taking it to the grave. And then he got up to say, hey, I'm the king. And I'm leading us into a new world. Um, and we pay attention to him because he did rise. He got up out of the grave. And uh, we can't do that. Let me down. That's it for today's episode. Remember, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at our email, rtbbpod at gmail.com, or you could send us a message on Instagram at rtbbpod. Hope to see you next week. Until then, much love. My love will keep